Welcome again. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. We're going to continue here in our series, Christ Above All. Christ is supreme and sufficient for our lives as followers of Him. And so we're going to continue here. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 this morning. If you're using a Bible provided there in the row for you, it's page 983, page 983. If you find your way there, I'm going to go ahead and pray, then I'll read our passage for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for what you've accomplished for us in Jesus. Lord, we are nothing. We truly are nothing without Christ. And in that, Lord, that motivates us. It gives us the ability to live for you. Lord, we cannot live for you on our own strength and our own power, but it's because of Christ and the strength you provide, Lord, that we can, Lord, live out our faith. Lord, we thank you for the ability to follow you. Lord, give us the insight and the wisdom. Help us, Lord, put to death sin in our lives. And as we look here at this prayer of Paul, Lord, that we remember who we are and how that bids us to live differently than what we are without Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. The title of this message is Remember Who You Are. Remember Who You Are. One of my favorite things growing up and in high school was playing football. That's not a surprise. I'm sure you've heard that several times from me. But one of the things that our football coach did every year was after we got through football camp and then two-a-day practices, we had a team meeting. We kind of weeded out some of the people who couldn't uh, survive those early practices, those hot days in August, when it was the team that was going to remain. And he would sit us down in a classroom, in the gym, wherever we could, he'd sit us down and he handed out a paper to us. And on that paper, every year was the same thing. It had about eight or nine character qualities and it said at the top what it means to be a Raider football player. He said, if you're going to play football for me and for this school, this is who you need to be. Remember, you are a Raider football player. This is the expectation that you have on how you are supposed to act. He would tell us throughout the year, remember who you play for. Remember who you are. 
Remember these character qualities that we want to instill in you. I remember that very vividly. I still have a copy of that somewhere in my office, those nine character qualities that he expected from us. And that idea has been etched into my brain since then. And and even as I trusted Christ my freshman year of high school and, and was introduced to Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus, I saw how that was a biblical truth played out in a very not biblical place. <laughs> but the idea of remembering who you are, your identity impacts the way that you act and you live. Who you are should change, should affect, should motivate how you conduct yourself. This is seen in the phrase, as a young boy leaves his house and his dad says to him, remember you're a Smith. Remember you're a Johnson. Remember you're a Miller. Remember who you are. And as we come to this passage this morning, Paul is continuing in his introduction, but he's praying for the Colossians, as he mentioned last week. He said, we always thank God for you, as they haven't met, but yet he heard of their faith in Christ. And he's praying for them. And what did he pray for them? Did he pray that they would have an easy time, that they would have release and deliverance from their physical needs? Does he pray that things would go well and easy for them? No. Paul prays for them that they would live their lives in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I think this is important for us today. Our identity in Christ calls us, it bids us, it beckons us, whatever synonym you want to put in there. It is is standing at the wall and yelling at us. Our identity, who we are in Jesus, calls us to live a life in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that's our big idea. Our identity in Christ calls us to live life in a manner worthy of the Lord. As Paul continues his introduction here, he mentions to the Colossians that he's praying for them. But now, in verses 9-14, through he gives the content of the prayer. He doesn't just say, hey, praying for you, but he says, hey, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying. He prays that they would walk, live in a manner worthy of the gospel, and not only that, but what it would look like in their life. What are some attributes? What are some actions? What are some things that they need to remember? How it works to live a life worthy of the Lord. And this is important for us because by way of application, we can see a wonderful template for us on what it looks like to live faithfully for God. But not only that, but how to pray for one another. How to lift one another up in prayer. Because it's important to pray for those things that are physical. Yes, we pray for those with physical needs. Absolutely we do. But I think it would be a good reminder for us that we begin with the spiritual. That no matter what happens physically in our lives or the circumstances around us, that you and I as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, that we would live our lives in a manner worthy of God. 
Because sometimes those circumstances we ask for God to take away are the circumstances that God puts there on purpose to help us live in a manner worthy of God. Paul reiterates his unceasing prayer for the believers. And his prayer is filled with several things. And we'll see those here in just a moment. But this idea, this this main request is found in verse 10 if you look in your Bibles. It says, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse 9, he says, and so from the day we heard, he's heard of their faith. Remember, Paul's never met these people. He's only heard of them. And he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. So these, these folks are on his prayer list regularly. And they are being prayed for. And he's asking that they be filled with these things, which we'll talk about in a moment. So as, verse 10, the result, Ultimately, Paul is praying that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And you might read that and you might think, man, I have to live up to being worthy of God? Who is worthy of God? Nobody. Nobody here, by their own strength and power, can live life in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of God. In your own strength, you can't. You might think, I'm going to do the best that I can to live worthy of this calling. And God will accept me. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not living in a manner worthy so you can be called something. Paul is saying, because of who you are, he's praying that they would live in light of that, because of that, as a result of that. And this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, is an interesting one. It's used by Paul and John. Paul uses this same phrase in Ephesians 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or of the gospel. He uses it in Philippians 1.27. We read that together this morning, right? So that whether he's there with the Philippians or absent, that it says later that he would hear of their conduct that they would live in a manner worthy of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 has that same phrase, and then John uses it in 3 John verse 6. This idea of being worthy or measuring up or matching what is true, it's living life in a way that matches what it should be. Worthy. It's appropriate. It fits. Right? It's... Um, it, it fits what it's supposed to be, right? If you ever bought something and you're like, hey, this is what I'm getting, and it shows up in the mail and you're like, wait, that doesn't seem like the right thing. <laughs> That's the idea of in a manner worthy. It, it measures up. It's correct. It's appropriate, right? It's what it's supposed to be. So we are called to live in a manner worthy as we're supposed to, in the Lord. So how do we do this? How do we do this? The main request there is to live life in a manner worthy of the Lord. But what does that look like for us in our lives? Well, there are six, or excuse me, five things that Paul uh, puts together here in his prayer for us. And I think it's very helpful as we walk through these for our own lives of what you can pray for yourself. So verse nine, and so from the day we heard, not cease to pray for you. The first thing, verse 10 is the main command, but verse 9, he puts something ahead here. He asks 
that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the first thing, how we live our life in a manner worthy of the Lord, is we submit to his will. Submit to his will. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled. It's the idea of you have a little bit, but you continue to fill up, right, more. It's when one of our kids comes up to us. Now it's mainly Nora, and she has her her water bottle or little cup with juice, and she goes, I need more juice. And there's already like half a thing of juice in there. It's like, you have plenty of juice. No, I want more. <laughs> so you fill it up. Here, the idea is being filled up, like filling up a container. There's already some there, but it's filling up to overflowing. And what are they to be filled with? Paul says the knowledge of his will. The knowledge, the knowing of his will. Well, what is his will. His will. It's God's desire for us. What he desires for his followers. Now you might think, is this will something that's hidden from us? Kind of like uh, a secret code that we have to crack. We're talking about that right now uh, during Sunday school with the teens. Of the idea of God's will and making decisions. Sometimes we have this idea that God's will is a mystery and it's hidden from us and we have to try and crack the code and figure it out. God doesn't communicate his will or about his will ever like that in scripture. Because what kind of God would he be if he says, I have a perfect plan for your life, but guess what? You have to figure it out. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> I'm really bad at puzzles. Right? Or the idea of God's will is, something very specific. And if we get off that path, man, we're doomed. We're failed. It's like you go on a hike and it says, stay on trail and you get off the trail. Well, you're, you're the guy falling down the hill with boulders and bears. That's not what God's will is here. This will is the idea of God's desire for us as his followers. And God makes his desire and his will very clear for us in the Old Testament by way of application through the Mosaic law for the nation of Israel, God was very clear what he desired for them to do and be. And here in the New Testament, as we look back, we can see very clearly his will. What is God's will? It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, God's will for, us, for our lives is our sanctification, to be more like Jesus. God wants you to be more like Jesus and give him glory. Now, in that, there are a lot of principles and things that we can glean from God's word to make or help live a life that glorifies God. But we need to be careful that we don't think God's will is some mysterious thing we can't figure out. But rather, we know God's will. He wants us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and grow in Christ-likeness and give glory to Him and have that impact the rest of our life. So this idea of knowing, of being filled up with the knowledge of his will is the idea of it's not what we want to do, but it's what God wants us to do. We are to submit to his will. And we see how we do this. It's through spiritual wisdom and understanding. The natural man cannot understand the will of God or submit to it because he's in rebellion to God. You cannot submit to the will of God and not be a believer in Jesus Christ. 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, which gives us insight and knowledge and lead and helping us understand, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's a helper. So this idea of spiritual insight and understanding, submitting to the will of God, is because we have received the Holy Spirit. This knowledge is not a natural knowledge for the natural man, but really, rather, it is the knowledge of God's will of following after Him because we are spiritual beings. We have received the Holy Spirit. We'd be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This phrase implies the idea that as followers of Christ, we submit ourselves to His will. Not our own natural desires, but the spiritual desires that come from doing what God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. We understand as we have God's Word, that God's Word helps us with that growing understanding what God wants us. So how do we live life in a manner worthy of the Lord? We say, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Secondly, we bear fruit in good works. So we, verse 9, we are filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, which is the main uh, request. And then we see the colon there and another result of, what it, of how we uh, walk in a manner worthy. We bear fruit. We bear fruit in good works. Faith in Christ should lead to good works. You should do things that please God. That's not wrong. That is biblical. We are called to do things that bring God joy, that please God. Sometimes we do things that grieve God, that God doesn't like. We can slip into the tendency of, well, we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. It's all of God's grace through Christ. Yes, absolutely, 100%. But then when we talk about that, sometimes on the flip side, then we think, well, if we can't do, do anything to please God, then, then why worry about it? Actually, the, the contrary is true, and we see that repeated in Scripture that, no, you can't save yourself. You can't earn your standing before God. Only through Christ do we have that standing. But if we are in Christ, we are to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, fully pleasing to Him, bearing good works. There are things that we can do that will bring God joy, and there are things that we will do that will not bring God joy. Bearing fruits, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, you're dead. You can't save yourself. You can't do anything. Salvation's a free gift. It's by, it's by faith alone uh, and grace alone, uh, grace alone by faith alone. Nobody can boast in it. But guess what? You are saved to good works. Ephesians 2, verse 10. In Hebrews, it says, We are to strive for holiness without which no one will be able to see the Lord. Put that alongside some of these verses and think about that idea strive for holiness put efforts into seeking to be holy because without that you will not be able to see the lord what the author there is talking about is that our sanctification is an active striving to put off christ or put on christ and put off our old man it's the idea that 
as we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we will want to live a life of holiness, bearing fruits in every good work. Every good work. True identity leads to true activity. And the looking at our works is a great indicator of someone's spiritual health. It's the end of Matthew 7 that we looked at before Christmas, right? Two ways to live. Are you a tree that bears good fruit or you are a sick tree that doesn't bear any fruit? Now, there are moments and times in our lives when we struggle and our fruit is not as abundant as it should be. But if you look at the overall pattern of our lives, do we see fruit in our lives for God? Bear fruit in good works. Number three, grow in the knowledge of God, which is attached here to this idea. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Grow in knowledge of God. Increase means to grow or add to. As a believer, we grow in our understanding and comprehension of who God is and what he does. As we've interacted with our children and taught them about God, about Jesus, all these different aspects of the Bible, we started off with God loves you. Right? God died on the cross for you. Uh, God's watching over you. These very simple ideas. But now as they've grown older, and as we're talking to them about things from Scripture, who died for you? God did. Yes, but can you be more precise? Jesus died for you. You might say, what's the difference? Well, there's not a difference, but it's being more precise and accurate with what Scripture tells us. It's a true statement. God died for us. Jesus is God. But a better statement, a more accurate statement, is that Jesus died for us. God the Father didn't die for us on the cross. What's the point in this illustration? Is that growing in the knowledge of God helps you comprehend and understand God more. Growing in an understanding and the knowledge of God's word helps us. It helps us in our walk and following after him. When we know something better, we can appreciate it all the more. So growing in knowledge of God, growing in our comprehension of who God is. And it is natural for a child. A child begins by learning one plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four. You have to get that mastered before you can get into calculus and trigonometry and all those fancy buttons on the big calculator I never knew how to use in high school, right? Some of you knew that, maybe have forgotten it. <laughs> but you start with the simple one plus one. But we don't stop there. We grow and we understand more and more. And the same thing in our Christian walk. We have a basic understanding of the gospel, of who God is when we trust Christ, but we shouldn't stay there. We need to grow in our appreciation and comprehension of God and his word. That is good and right for us to do. And it's an active growth. It's not passive. We are responsible to put ourselves in the way of God's word. Read it. Study it. Go where it's taught faithfully. Fill your mind with it. Expand your thinking and wonder of who God is. Will you be able to fully comprehend God? No. But can you comprehend God more as you grow in knowledge of him? Yes. And this is important because as we grow in knowledge of God, we see 
how his word and who he is impacts our lives in different ways. Fourth, endure with patience and joy. So verse 10 ends with bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power to his, uh, according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy, or patience with joy. So we are to be strengthened. Why? For all endurance. Why would endurance be needed? Well, as believers in the first century, there would be persecution and opposition. Christianity was under attack. And so endurance would be needed to be faithful, to continue on. It would have been hard to be a Christian in the first century. If you're in a town where there are false teachers, as it seems, were present in Colossae, or Jews who were out to get Christians, or a Roman government that did not look favorably upon it yet. Endurance would be needed. Well, what is the source of this endurance? Strength from Him, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. There are things that we face in our life that without Christ we would crumple. Without Christ, we would falter and fail. But as Paul says in Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This does not mean that everything is going to work out according to our plan, that we're going to come out as the victors every time, but rather we can endure all things. But it's not just to grit your teeth and bear it. Look what he says. That we'd be strengthened with his power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We endure with patience and joy. Endurance comes with patience, meaning we may be enduring until the end of our lives. We may be enduring for a long period of time. With endurance comes patience. Okay, God, I've endured for a day. I'm done. Time to make somebody else endure. (laughs) No, this endurance may be for a lifetime. And so not only do we have strength to endure, but Paul prays that they would have patience. And this patience and endurance would be couched in joy. Have you ever met someone who's going through a terribly difficult thing with no sight and end, but yet they have joy? I'm not, taking, I'm not talking about a false, a false happiness. I'm not talking about something that is just made up and fake. I'm talking about a settled joy. They are an encouraging person. They are somebody you want to be around and you actually want to encourage yourself. Joy. This endurance is accompanied with joy. A follower of Jesus should be joyful. Not fake, not phony, but have a deep-seated contentment in what God is doing. And sometimes... You need to fight for joy. You need to fight for joy. What, is, what does that mean? How do, how do you fight for joy? When you look at the circumstances of your life or a current life situation, a difficulty, you can become so consumed with it that you can't see past it. You can't see around it. You can't see outside of it. It completely fills your vision. There's no hope. There's no end. And you can start to despair. Fighting for joy is reminding yourself of who God is 
that God is sovereign. And God, as a good and kind God, never puts anything in our lives just to make us miserable. He has a purpose through everything. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he uses those things to make us more like Jesus. And so, as you remember that, it should lead to joy. Not joy for something that's bad or wrong or hard, but joy because you know the difficulty isn't it. It isn't the end. The difficulty, the circumstance, the hard thing is not all that there is, but there's something more and better awaiting for us forever. Joy is something we need to fight for in the face of difficulties. Go to God's word. Cry out to God. Remember Christ and what he's done for us. Get together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement and exhortation and accountability. Fight for joy. Fight for joy. Because with endurance comes patience and joy by God's strength. Fight for it. Fifth, last thing here that Paul lays out and how to live a life in a manner worthy of the Lord. Give thanks for God's deliverance. Give thanks. Again, gratitude here. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Give thanks for God's deliverance. Who qualified you? I love this phrase. Who qualified you? God did. The Father has qualified you. You have not qualified yourself. You have failed the test again and again. But God himself has qualified you. He's made you able to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. Think of that. God has given you access to this inheritance with all the saints in light, the idea of of, of in heaven. How has he done this? Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God the Father, through the work in his son Jesus Christ, we read in Ephesians 1, predestined us before the foundations of the world to believe in Christ. And he says, I'm going to take you from darkness and death. And I'm going to put you into the kingdom of my beloved son. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you a home forever. And guess what? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. If That doesn't lead you to gratitude. I don't know what will. God, the Father, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, and he's accomplished it through his Son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, Paul takes them back to Christ and the redemption on the cross. You are not part of the kingdom of darkness, but you are part of the kingdom of his Beloved son, remember who you are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not dead, but you are alive. You are not forgotten, but you are remembered. You are not poor, but you have an inheritance that is kept and unfading. You are not to live according to your natural desires in the course of this world, but according to the gospel in a life worthy 
of God. Full circle, back around to who Jesus is and what he's done. How are we qualified? Through Christ. Christ is sufficient and supreme in our lives. Give thanks. Fight and endure with patience and joy. Grow in our knowledge of God. Bear fruit in good works. And submit to His will and not our own. How do you live a life in a manner worthy of the Lord? You seek to do these things with God's help. You seek to do these things with God's help. So taking this passage and applying it to our lives right now. How can we do this? Well, first off, when you pray, when we pray together here, I, I hope you've, you've noticed that as through the pastoral prayers and other prayers that we are praying for more than just physical passing needs. Pray for eternal things. Pray for spiritual things. Pray, maybe not for something to be fixed in that person's life, but pray that through that difficulty, they'd be more like Jesus. God doesn't want our life to be easy. God wants our life to be Christ-like. And that's so important for us to remember. Pray for more than just physical, passing things. Pray for things of eternal value and worth. Secondly, apply yourself to your spiritual growth. When's the last time you actively thought, what's a habit or pattern in my life that I need to grow in? What's a habit or pattern in my life that is sinful that I need to stop? It's not natural for us to think that way. But God's word calls us to live that way. Rather than focusing on issues with everybody else, what are your own issues <laughs> that you can focus on? How's your Bible reading? How's your time praying to God? Is church just a thing? Yeah, if I get around to it. Or is it some, something that you're, you're dedicated to? Once again, these things do not earn our salvation. But they are used by God to grow us. Apply yourself to your spiritual growth. Inspect your heart. Look at your life and ask the question, why do I do what I do? Does it match with what God's word says? How is sin impacting my decisions and my desires? Apply yourself to your spiritual growth. Memorize scripture. Read parts of the Bible you haven't read before. Read books about God and his word. Challenge your thinking. Find somebody who can keep you accountable. Be open and honest with your fight with sin. Apply yourself to spiritual growth. We need to get over the fact that somebody might know that we're sinners. Guess what? We're all sinners here. You all sin daily. I sin daily. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. We need to get over this idea of this pretense of, well, they have it all together. No, we don't, church. No, we don't. Nobody here is perfect, but in Jesus Christ we are. And because of that, that should call us to fight sin in our lives. If you came up to me this week and said, Pastor, 
I'm sorry, but I deal with this sin in my life. I would not be surprised. Stop trying to hide it and to fake it. Don't glory in your sin, but recognize it and see it and set your heart and mind with the help of God to fight it. To actually walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And lastly, we pray for more than just the physical passing things. Apply ourselves to our spiritual growth, but rest in what God has done. Rest in what God has done. Give thanks to the Father because He has qualified you. He has transferred you. In Him, we have redemption. Not in us we have redemption, but in Him we have redemption. Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. As we look at our life, seeking to live a life worthy of the gospel, we're going to try and we're going to fail. We're going to try and we're going to fail again. But that's where we come and we rest in what God has done for us in Christ. Rest in the fact that God knows every single failing and faltering in your life, but yet still loves you in Jesus Christ. Rest in the fact that we may fall short, but yet Jesus has accomplished what we could not. Rest in what God has done. As Paul prays for the Colossians, it's a wonderful prayer for us that throughout all of our days, that we'd seek to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Not, because, not in order to earn our salvation, but because of it. That we would apply ourselves to knowing God more. Seeking to love Him more. To, to grow in patience and joy. That we would grow in our gratitude and give thanks in our fight with sin. Why? Church, remember who you are. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a saint. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. Remember who you are. Remember what you have at your disposal for the fight for holiness in your lives. And remember with gratitude what God has done as we read in Ephesians 1, that we would live our lives to the praise of His glorious grace. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the challenge that it is to live our lives in a manner worthy. Lord, we fail daily. I fail. Lord, I put my own sinful desires above what I know God's Word says, Lord, sin creeps in to my motivations. Lord, the desire for self-protection or self-promotion. Lord, but I pray as a church family that we would grow together. Lord, that we would seek to live our lives worthy of your son, of what his sacrifice was, is. And the fact that in Christ we are already declared righteous. <laughs> we are spotless before you. Lord, help us to live that way now as we continue with our battle with indwelling sin in our lives. 
Lord, I pray that Christ would be above all, that he would be supreme and sufficient in our lives forever. We love you. We pray for this in Christ's name.